To our studio audience, thank you very much for being patient and waiting for us to start the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. Um, If you're brand new to us, uh, this morning, we did the first live virtual broadcast of the Good Leadership Breakfast series, something we've been doing for 10 years. We normally do it in a large country club ballroom, but for obvious reasons, we're all living through the coronavirus and most people are uh, forced to work from home. So we did a virtual broadcast from here in the aspiration suite of our offices at Good Leadership Enterprises in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We have a number of podcasts. The brand is called the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. Typically, we will do a Monday morning quarterback uh, strategy where we will play back some of the speaker's content and uh, a couple of executive coaches will comment on what we heard. But today we're lucky enough to have our friend John Thomas who's been able to uh, stay around for another hour or so. We engaged a lot of people over Facebook Live. There were lots of questions that, were, that we just didn't have enough time to answer. So I've got those questions here on this iPad. And I just want to take the time to uh, introduce you to John Thomas. Now, John is currently an executive. He's a vice president with the Minnesota Timberwolves and Lynx organization in basketball development. Uh, his history includes um, basically being a star basketball player on the college and NBA level. He also played overseas and uh, returned to reinvent his career once, once basketball came to an abrupt end. He talked a lot on our broadcast earlier, which is available on our YouTube channel, about the difficult transition between uh, basketball life and life in the real world, including the amazing shock of how little money you can make when you're not a star. But he's a resilient guy, he reinvented himself, and he's on the way to doing fabulous things in the NBA and in the community of Minneapolis-St. Paul. So let's welcome uh, John Thomas. Thanks so much for for being a part of this. Of course, yeah. So let's just get the first question right out of the way. (laughs) Everyone wants to know how tall you are, and you don't even have to answer this. I'm five foot five, and you're 15 inches taller than me, which is why we are sitting on these stools, because my mother's proud at the moment. She's (laughs) seeing you and me are about the same size today. For sure, yeah. Yeah. Six, eight. And I was 5'5", five, five, probably when I was in third grade. Yeah, there you go. There, but I am much more comfortable on airplanes than you are. A hundred percent. Well, what does your work look like today in the Minnesota Timberwolves and Lynx organizations? So let's just start there. What, what does your work look like? So uh, three core areas of business, uh, primarily focused on really cultivating and building uh, youth basketball infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, we work with local communities to partner and provide services and products specific to on-court uh, mm-hmm. basketball development. Okay. Uh, we create experiences that connect youth to the game. Um, and from there, uh, aspirationally, we're looking at how do we sort of grow that business outside of just youth and mm-hmm. um, you know, expand into high school and adult markets at some point down the road. Um, and then I, then I spend some time in partnering with our basketball operations team to mentor our players and get them acclimated to the market, getting them to understand how to uh, really utilize their platform to create success outside of the game. And then the last piece uh, is um, from, a, uh, from an alumni perspective, a program that we're, we're looking at recreating the nostalgia and bringing them, uh, former players back into the market. So uh, really within those areas, uh, you know, I've got a team on the basketball, uh, on basketball academy side that, that is uh, pushing and growing that space. 
um, again, partner with our basketball operations unit, and then uh, individually, along with a couple of uh, team members, are, are helping to build out the, the alumni mm -hmm. program. Well, you, you told us a lot about how you navigated basketball. You, you played in many different cities, in many different countries. It was about a 15-year journey. Mm -hmm. um, one of our um, listeners asked the question, so what do you think you learned more that impacted your life? You know, what you learned in the basketball context or the cultural context of all the places that you lived? You know, I, I would say probably the cultural because, you know, culture when you look at how, what culture looks like on a basketball team versus what culture looks like in your, in your business, mm -hmm. uh, culture looks like in your family, uh, I think there's a way that when you look at, uh, you know, how do you conduct yourself uh, and what are the core tenets of a good culture. Mm -hmm. And being able to see that across the board with the varying degrees of, you know, basketball teams that I, that I played on really allowed me to see what, what it looked like to have success. Now, success normally in sport is defined by wins, sure. but wins are ultimately the outcome. And uh, so I look at what is that process that, that goes into potentially winning? Do, do the players have an understanding of the mission? Uh, because they all have an objective of winning, sure. but how you get there is I think is most important, right? When the words are such as hustle or being a good teammate or you know, how do we define those words? So the best coaches, the best teams, the best organizations really did a good job of doing that. So I would, to answer the question, I would say culture was probably the, well, the you, biggest thing. Well, you mentioned thing. that you played in South Korea. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even think they played basketball in yeah. South Korea. So um, tell us a little bit about what you encountered by playing basketball in South Korea. Well, a very hardworking culture. Uh, I would say that, you know, the, the time that I spent there was, the, was my last stop. So I had come to a place where uh, I, I really was doing it because I had the ability to do it, but I had lost the passion to prepare. Mm -hmm. um, but in South Korea, I mean, one, wonderful people. Uh, uh, like I said, very, very hardworking. Uh, we as, a, as Americans would practice twice a day, uh, but as the, the Koreans, they would practice three times a day. Hmm. Um, as, as basketball players and what we've been able to do with our bodies, mm -hmm. Uh, I, I think you know there's such there's such a thing as over preparation. Oh sure. All right, and burnout, yeah. especially when yeah. it comes to physical, and that yeah. then then transcends over to yep. uh, the mental aspect. Yep. So that was one thing that I saw with you know with those teams is that they just they worked entirely too hard. Uh, but overall, just a really really good experience. Well, let's talk about that mental side. You mentioned in your uh, in your keynote that as part of your transition out of basketball, you felt a lot of guilt and shame as part mm -hmm. of that process. Tell us a little bit more about how that sort of played into your, into your situation, and then how did you find the resilience to kind of work your way out of that? Yeah, I mean, I think the guilt and shame was, was really hinged upon what, what we deem to be a success in society, mm -hmm. right? So I had the 5,000 square foot home, I was married to the, the pretty woman, mm -hmm. I had, you know, the two dogs, the BMW 750, mm -hmm. but not an inkling of an understanding mm -hmm. of the financial implications, uh, you know, tax and how that plays a role sure. into it. Uh, no, no such thing as truly understanding longevity and sustainability yeah. and knowing that the shelf life of an athlete, uh, and particularly in my case, you know, in the NBA, where my largest earning potential was, was five years. Uh, so um, the guilt and shame associated with that was that, 
you know, I, I grew up in a household, at least, you know, especially in my formative years, were really rooted in education. Yeah. So I took pride in, 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 in knowing and, and being educated. Uh, but it wasn't until I sort of made that transition and then my parents split yeah. where my mom's working two full-time jobs. So at our dinner tables, we weren't having conversations about, you know, how to amass wealth, what it meant to really, um, you know, sort of build your brand. And, um, you know, how do you leverage the platform that you're currently on to sort of create additional revenue yeah. streams? So um, I see that now. And, and at first I couldn't talk about it. Right? I couldn't losing all my money. I, yeah. I became the rule. I, yeah. I was I went from the being the exception to then now being the rule. Yeah. And frankly, it, it made me angry. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, what I term now is I say I have a positive visceral anger towards really sure. solving this problem. Mm -hmm. Um, but it comes down to just overall education and understanding that, um, you know, time for money is never an equal exchange and, and the, the, the use of your body uh, should not be taken lightly because you, you, you can't do it forever. So uh, pulling back out of it, the, sort of the resilience was, one, at some point you have to stop wallowing, right? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it, it is, it, it is it what it is and it yeah. was what it was. Yeah. So what can you start to project down the road for what you want to be? And, and I had mentioned that I didn't have a plan, but what I knew how to do was to work hard. Yeah. I knew how to gain mm -hmm. uh, resources. Uh, I knew that intrinsically, uh, although I can articulate it now, but we're all paid to solve problems, right? No matter what we do, or to at least uh, el eliminate or alleviate those problems. Mm -hmm. So uh, specifically, did I start to understand what were we trying to accomplish mm -hmm. within, my, within my corporate role uh, as I transitioned away from being a basketball player? So. That's how I started to prop myself up, doing a lot of due diligence and research. Uh, my, my input was changing, right? Mm -hmm. So rather than me just being the, the basketball player mm -hmm. and, and listening to music uh, and hanging out with my college girlfriend, uh, those are, you know, you get really good at that. Um, so I, I started to change um, really just the mechanism by which I developed myself and I started seeing dividends. That's so fascinating to me. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing your journey, and I'm th going back to the college days mm -hmm. now for a second. Um, what did you? St you were a student athlete. Mm -hmm. I look at you. Amazingly, I see an, a pro athlete. Um, what did you study in college? Speech communication and media studies. Well, there you go. That's why you're such a good <laughs> podcast guest. For sure. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I'm sure the pressure of the lights and all that stuff here in the aspiration suite has is nothing for you. Uh, um, you, you talked about mentoring, mm -hmm. and that, that's a big part of your job right now. You talked about, you introduced this concept of digital mentors, people that you've learned a lot from. There were several questions about people asking, you know, who are those digital mentors now? And uh, even uh, who are you listening to on things like podcasts and things? So let's first, I want to know who's mentoring you, and then I want to ask you about mentoring other people. Yeah, so um, I, I try to, as much as I can, I, I try to listen to everyone. So specific to, to mentorship, uh, I would say that right now, Rob Nelson, uh, he's uh, one of the heads at, at, Nor at North Rock okay. uh, Financial. Yeah. Um, he, he, uh, our, our conversations are always rooted in, one, friendship, uh, but two, uh, continual development. Mm -hmm. uh, I have another gentleman that I've been recently introduced to. His name is John Hartwig, runs a company called Prosper, uh, really mm -hmm. helping shape 
uh, culture for professional sports organizations. Okay. Um, you're just a great, great listener. Uh, those are those for me. When I think about attributes of mentorship, sure. It's it's people uh, and their willingness and ability to listen and turn that information back around to provide a different perspective that is not mine. Um, so though I, I would say those two, you know, those two specifically speak you know, speak to who I am. But even uh, you know my my current boss Ryan Tanky, CEO, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, does a wonderful job of really celebrating and honoring people, um, and then our CEO uh, Ethan Casson, who mm-hmm. uh, is just a consummate professional and truly cares uh, about people. And a common thread for me within all those mentors is that they genuinely uh, take an interest in in your well-being. Uh, digital mentors for me have you know primarily remained the same. Uh, I would say that Gary V was a huge, oh, uh, sure, yeah. huge instru- uh, an, an instrumental person in my life because um, I started to understand that by taking social media, uh, it's essentially your own community. Yeah. And through, through your own community, how do you take that platform and engage? So it's super interesting to me how he's done that and taken uh, sort of his, his path and have, has grown, I think, uh, upwards of 7 million followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. But he does it through engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's one that I, that I marvel at, and, he t- and he's honest. Uh, says it with such candor that you know, as a pro- former professional athlete, I can appreciate. Um, but even beyond there, it's uh, you know, I talked earlier about, about him as um, you know, Tony Robbins, Simon yeah, Sinek. Sure. Um, uh, there's you know, Tom Bailu. Um, there's just a lot of people that are sharing really, really good information. And you know how they package it. Uh, I think is important towards just you know o- overall personal professional growth. Well, let's talk about your mentoring then. So you're obviously mentoring people. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of mentoring uh, are you doing, and how can people in our uh, listening audience who are also active mentors, um, how can they learn some success habits from you? I would say the first place to to really start with, which I think is sort of the driver for all of us, is is a defined value system. Uh, because from your value system, you can start to articulate your mm-hmm. purpose. Uh, it was interesting in a conversation that I had recently with, with my mom, and I was trying to, to sort of figure out, you know, based upon what I believe, uh, I think the, the important part of beliefs is how we choose to define them, mm-hmm. right? You and I could say that, hey, you know what, a core tenant of what we do um, is, is being professional, but how do we define professionalism? Mm-hmm. And when we come together, if we're exchanging energy and our energy manifests itself in, in matter through work, um, how, do we, how do we ensure that our definitions of professionalism match? And if mm-hmm. they do, mm-hmm. we'll have synergy towards mm-hmm. the things that we'll work on. So that's just one example yeah. of how you use words to clearly define you know, what things matter to us. And you know, f- you know, we've all seen, um, you know, mission statements mm-hmm. that don't necessarily resonate or ring true within the daily actions, right? So for me, the, the kind of the beliefs equals actions, then equals outcome. Yeah, sure. Right. So if you don't like the outcome, yep. work backwards and say, well, well, how do we act or how do we behave? Yep. yep. And then ultimately, it's rooted in what we believe. Mm-hmm. So, specific to that question, I, I think it's important to understand. You know, what are you trying to accomplish in mm-hmm, your life? Mm-hmm. And we all have needs, right? Yep. Most of, yep. we're, we're pretty fortunate as Americans that most of our needs are met. Yep. So, okay, now the question is, what do you want? Yeah, and we talked about planning That's and all right. those sorts of things and value systems and visioning and stuff as, as part of the That's right. breakfast. Um, well, let's get more specific about the league. 
What are the kinds of things that um, you've been able to mentor some of the players on? Well, I think it's it's starting to understand the importance of you know the, the key stakeholders that are outside of the court. Yeah. Um, you know, it's easy as players for us to look at and say that you know their the objective is to win, and we have every single night we have a different opponent, yeah. and you get mired in. Um, you know, the day-to-day -day routine of it's a game yep. or it's a practice or yep. it's an off day and before you know it, the season's over. Yeah. Right? So how are you creating sort of an in-season lights on mm -hmm. to the off-season lights dim yeah. versus when you retire lights off approach to, uh, you know, really building yourself. And, you know, we, we've, throughout my time, I've always heard that athletes should have a plan B. I don't believe in that because the lights are not, is as bright when mm -hmm. you have a plan B. Yeah. So I say, how do you cultivate and build two plan A's? Yeah. Right. And in, in, in the season, you know, your body is certainly taking a, a, a beating, mm -hmm. but there's ways by which you can, uh, you know, say hello to a corporate partner and make a quick deposit. Or yeah. for those that are yep. sitting in the first four rows uh, of the arena, uh, there's a reason why they're sitting there. They want to mm -hmm. be seen. Mm -hmm. So go see them. Yeah. Uh, so it's just really creating different strategies to, to get them to understand um, one, how to really build upon their personal brand. Mm -hmm. um, but I always say to them, Apple never became Apple by just selling Macs. So yeah. they have multiple revenue streams. Sure. So how do you start to build different revenue streams and understanding smartly how do you create those opportunities for yourself? What are the biggest changes between the NBA today and when Ooh. you played in them? So just a couple of big changes. I would say the, the, the biggest um, is you know, one, our, our population has continued to grow and people are consuming the medium differently. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I, like, when I played, there was no, there was no social media. There was no real, mm -hmm. the smartphone. Sure. So people consume the game um, where they, you and I would go, yep. so we would interact with each other. Yep. Um, then we'd watch the game. Yep. Or we'd be able to see it on, like, uh, NBC. Yeah, During that time. Well, as as the the game evolved mm -hmm. and it went to sort of the sports center yep. and um, you know that era, now we can you and I could literally uh, we could sit at our, our favorite pub or bar and have a conversation. And I could pull up my phone and I could mm -hmm. still mm -hmm. you know watch the game. So yeah. I think the way in which the game is consumed has, has changed a lot. Yeah. You know, people aren't clapping anymore yeah. because they've got phones in their hands. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, so that that's one piece. And the other side of it is just. You know, kids are starting younger, mm -hmm. and because they're starting younger, and the monetization of youth sports has really led to, I guess, a a, a much longer curve around um, entitlement for players. Mm -hmm. And because they're valued within that social media space, I think I mentioned it on the on the show previously. Um, you're telling me that I'm great a lot younger. So, oh, sure. so I believe it more now. So by the time I get to the NBA, and because of the 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 huge amounts of money that that we can make as athletes now, um, and they're being pulled in so many different directions, they're isolated and insulated more. Uh, so it's a lot more challenging to sort of break through to them to get them to see outside of themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot of questions that were posed on Facebook uh, about sort of the intersection of life and basketball, and I think this was. Um, uh, there one question really kind of frames this all up and says, will you talk to us about what it was like to be traded mm. from one team to another and how some how you dealt with that and how did that kind of help you get ready for the life that you're living now? Yeah, it was very, very uh, tough for me to get traded. I mean, I, when you, I'm just, just personally speaking uh, and understanding more about myself, 
uh, I'm a people person. And what I learned after uh, I was finished was that I didn't love the game, I love people. I love what the game could do to bring me closer to people through camaraderie and competition. So by being in a system in high school where you're used to your high school coach for, you know, from the time I was a sophomore until I was a senior, that was two years. Yeah. And then all four years were within the same uh, system with the same coach and building that relationship, sure. uh, developing a routine, and we're all creatures of habit. Then you get into the, the, the professional ranks, and at the end of the preseason, um, Jeff Van Gundy walks into my room and tells me that I've been traded to the Boston Celtics, and we were in Boston. So to literally say, stay here, and somebody from the Celtics organization will, will be in touch. I had gone through training camp with Patrick Ewing, Larry Johnson, Charles Oakley, sure. you know, some, of the, you know, some of the storied real vets yeah, of, of the old school yeah. NBA. And all of a sudden, I traded locker rooms. And you know, when he left my room, I cried. Of course. Um, you know, because it was truly what I learned after the fact is it was an affront to my values. To, to be commoditized and to be moved like that, yeah. where, hey, what you say really doesn't matter. You have 72 hours to, to move. It's not what they said, yes. but in essence, it's what I felt. Yeah. And then to be traded again, you know, away from Boston to Toronto, uh, you quickly understand how challenging it is within, within that space. And oftentimes I see there's so much rhetoric around players and the fact that they, they move teams or they sign with some, some mm -hmm. other team. Yep. But what's not being talked about is how, when, when players are traded, uh, you know, the, the ill effects and how challenging it is. I mean, if you think at any moment's notice within your business, somebody can say to you, hey, you know what? Hey, Paul, see you later. You're moving to this other city and you and your family have to leave. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, uh, and, and people equate money with success of so these multimillionaires. Uh, but at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. We want to be loved. We mm -hmm. want to be validated. Mm -hmm. we, we want, uh, you know, good leaders mm -hmm. to, to really uh, look into us and, and shape our lives to, to ultimately create success beyond, beyond the game. Well, we've come to our, the end of our time together today. I just want to be, I want you to understand how grateful we are for you to be so flexible. I mean, we talked about a, a large stage keynote with 250 people, <laughs> right. and all of a sudden the coronavirus cuts our legs out from underneath us. We're working from home. We convert the Aspiration Suite into a makeshift studio, and here we are. So I'm just going to ask you, uh, what, what's it been like to, to be a part of this? And can you describe your experience? Yeah, it's been... Uh... C certainly surreal uh, when when we hear that you know the league is canceling yeah. uh, or postponing, if you will, for for the next 30 days. Uh, then our then our business office is shut for a, a temporary period of time, only to have it extended. And then you start to see sort of the domino effect uh, across the world, really. And you know, my dad lives in China, so I had been paying attention to the coronavirus. Oh, sure. Um, you know, way we're kind of way before everyone else was, and he was sort of putting up warnings around what what was happening and how. You know, they basically shut down the country for two months. So uh, it's certainly surreal, and it doesn't, you don't really understand it until it hits home. Mm -hmm. And uh, when it did hit home, and you're, and I'm around my kids all the time, around, you know, everyone's confined to those spaces, and you're trying to self quarantine mm -hmm. as much as possible. I guess the place that I look at is, you know, when we speak about resilience, is that one, uh, life is temporary. and. Um, the, the things that we can control, let's just you know, focus on controlling mm -hmm. those mm -hmm. and doing it with probably the, the most utmost and, and most positive attitude possible. Mm -hmm. So for us internally at home, 
as challenging as it is to, to not have the, the, the comforts. Uh, you know, I've been in environments where when I played in Syria, the gym was so cold, steam was coming off my body. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those moments of adversity have really set me up for um, times like now. And again, it's, yeah, there's a possibility that someone gets sick in the household mm -hmm. and, and, you know, potentially that someone that you might know could potentially die. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I look at it as, um, you know, nothing's promised. And so for me, I just, I, I try to live life, you know, mm -hmm. the, with the glass half full, mm -hmm. uh, be positive, try to radiate that goodness mm -hmm. around our team mm -hmm. as a whole, and really just hope that this subsides mm -hmm. and we can move on with, with hopefully a more positive outlook mm -hmm. and better attitude on how we treat each other. Yeah, well, thank you very much for spending the time with us. Of course. Uh, as I bring this podcast to a close, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, something that's um, important to me. So when I was five years old, my grandfather, he taught me how to collect handshakes. He called it that, collecting handshakes. And he was like, you know what? You got to learn how to meet people. You got to learn how to look them in the eye. And I was a five-year-old and I've never been tall. So I'm sure I was a tiny five-year-old. And I was shaking hands saying, hey, it's really nice to meet you. And uh, I never really appreciated how much that's a part of me. Mm -hmm until we were told by the Surgeon General that <laughs> right. we can't shake hands. It's making me a little bit, um, a little bit crazy. Yeah, same, yeah. same and for so, me. Yeah. So it's such an important part of who we are is getting together. And today we've invested a half a day in trying our best to bring the positivity and the connections of the Good Leadership Breakfast uh, to you. I don't know. Uh, where you are or who you are that's listening to this podcast, but we appreciate the fact that you've invested some time, whether you're in your car or on an airplane again, hopefully, or exercising. We really appreciate the fact that you're interested in goodness and how it pays for you. So uh, thank you very much, and we look forward to uh, uh, talking with you again soon.